Welcome to the ESG Agenda, where we examine the evolution of ESG and its impact across companies, markets, and investment portfolios. Climate change has been called the leading source of threat to global financial stability, as the increasing number of catastrophic events cascade to all sectors of the economy, impacting central banks, regulators, and financial institutions. Faced with pressure over their role in the climate crisis, some banks are pushing ahead with reforms of lending criteria to align with Paris Agreement objectives, shifting focus toward innovative environmental finance products and green transition investments. French bank BNP Paribas is one of those banks. In 2017, BNP Paribas stopped funding for new unconventional oil and gas and coal-fired power plant projects and began targeting further expansion of financing for renewable assets. It's also looking to phase out all financing of outstanding loans of companies related to coal by 2030 in the EU and by 2040 for the rest of the world. Today, I'm speaking with Alexandra Bazarov, Global Head of Sustainable Finance for Financial Institutions at BNP Paribas. We talk about how the pandemic has highlighted systemic risks in the economy and how the financial system can be part of the climate solution by creating new products to help companies meet sustainability goals and finance the transition to a more sustainable and inclusive economy. Civil society these days expect large companies, including banks, to play an active role in researching and designing eco-friendly and inclusive solutions. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amelia, and it's great to be with you today. What does sustainable finance mean to you? For financial institutions, I think we mustn't ignore that we're living in unprecedented times at the moment. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected every region in the world with particular damaging human, social, economic consequences um, to the extent that we cannot really begin to flamish. So it will significantly affect our society and the global economy for the foreseeable future. And we're also seeing the emergence of numerous fundamental challenges for the future, be it growing risks linked to climate change, geopolitical and public health, environmental preservation, greater imbalances between countries and rising social inequality. And so civil society these days expect large companies, including banks, to play an active role in researching and designing eco-friendly and inclusive solutions. Ben Caldicott at the University of Oxford says that Banks are where the financial system and the real economy meet. Why should they care about climate change? I mean, climate change will have a significant impact on the financial service sector and will increasingly influence consumer decision making. For example, it could substantially impact the value of all types of financial assets and how investment managers deliver long-term sustainable value to their clients. It could increase the cost of insurance for some consumers and reduce the availability of insurance for others. We've seen that obviously in the US more recently with the fires in California. And so ultimately it may alter the distribution of risk across the system over time. Borrowers and counterparties exposure to climate related risks and indeed opportunities and how they manage them could make them more or less credit worthy. Um, and it's against this fast evolving backdrop that firms need to quickly build up their understanding of climate risks. There was an article in the New York Times this week that said that 70% more properties were at risk of flooding than had previously been anticipated. It's absolutely. And in, you know, 2019 was the second hottest year on record 
And that's why, as you alluded to, with the flood risk, be it with the droughts, how supply chains are going to be impacted, and arguably the COVID-19 uh, was a real live example of some of these scenarios many of the financial institutions are starting to model. And that's why we need a concerted action on climate change. And it's really been never a greater need than now, because there are obviously lots of factors coming into it. And this is very much also the transitional risks that will influence the adjustment. Um, obviously, climate-related developments in policy and regulation, the emergence of disruptive technology or business models, and shifting sentiment and societal preferences, or involving evidence, you know, the frameworks and, and legal interpretations of what this means uh, for those people living in the environment. So they're very interconnected, as you said. There's so much politics around climate change, and it looks like the financial community is running ahead of our politicians on some level. How can they encourage companies to be more sustainable? Well, I think, um, as you mentioned in your introduction, obviously BNP Paribas has taken some sector policy views. But more importantly, we feel it's very important to help finance the transition um, to a more inclusive and environmental world. So subsequently, you know, the discussion around how that's best done is inarguably, it involves all stakeholders because we need to incentivize uh, the transition to help achieve the goal set out by the Paris Agreement. And subsequently, um, also regulators and policymakers also have a role to play because we know purely shifting the energy model of banks or developing green bonds or sustainable link bonds will not be enough to accompany all sectors in their transition journey. So that's why we're also spending a lot of time on helping the evolution of what we call transition bonds. Um, it's a real opportunity to finance the transition by feeding the appetite of investors for sustainable products with transition bonds anchored in solid standards and disclosures. I'm not familiar with transition bonds. I know that the green bond market has gotten a lot of attention, and I read somewhere that uh, it's expanded by more than 50% to $260 billion just in the last year, and everyone's expecting that to sell accelerate. How are green bonds and transition bonds different? The reality is green bonds have very much use of proceeds, which by definition are green. Um, this obviously limits the universe of issuers who can come to that particular market because you need to identify those projects. Transition bonds is to finance projects aimed at helping industries shift their business activities towards a more sustainable model, producing less carbon and waste or indeed um, improving social values via fair labor practices and working conditions. So at the moment, you do have the green bond principles, you have the social bond principles, where we've obviously seen an increase in issuance more recently. Um, and then indeed, uh, over the recent weeks, we've seen the sustainability linked bond principles. Um, there isn't yet a framework for transition bonds, but it's something that the market collectively are working towards, because they realize that this is a real catalyst to help finance the transition that we so desperately need. And the, what this brings out is that innovation is really recognized as a critical element in bringing forward you know, new financial products. Some of these other products that you're talking about really sound like they're aiming for a different vision of the economy, a future economy that maybe is on its way. Tell us a little bit about some of the deals that you're seeing. 
Yeah, well, first I'll start off with the sustainable linked loans um, because they're increasingly popular and we were one of the first banks to promote them. The special feature of this is the positive impact loans is the incentive they give companies to improve their ESG performance by correlating the loan's financial terms to predefined extra financial goals, i.e. the classic non-financials. And under these mechanisms, the extra financial risk has the same level of requirements as financial risk. As a result, the interest rates on the loan are linked directly to ESG ratings or KPIs that we co-design with the ultimate beneficiary of the loan. So I hear a lot from companies about ESG ratings. Does that play a big factor into their loan application, their creditworthiness? So in these particular, what we call SLL, sustainable linked loans, you can have the rating as a reference point to assess the annual variations in the interest rate of the loan, or indeed you can have independent KPIs, but we have seen an we have seen a number of these loans purely linked to the ESG rating. So this means if the ESG rating is downgraded, the interest rate on the loan rises. Conversely, yeah. if the rating improves, the interest rate falls. So this bonus penalty mechanism linked to the company's ESG performance has a very strong incentive impact and aligning the financial conditions with its own corporate social responsibility performance. So your focus is specifically on financial institutions. What does that exactly mean? A BNP Paribas, that's basically everything that isn't a corporate or a retail client. So you've got uh, the official institutions, uh, central banks, multilateral development banks, the sovereigns, especially the ministries of finance and their debt management offices, and also the sovereign wealth funds. Then you also have the insurance companies, the asset managers, the hedge funds, the pension funds, private equity, and also the banks and intermediaries. And what I try to do is anticipate the trends and indeed the regulatory changes and how that's impacting our clients and what solutions we need to be thinking about for them as we transition towards a low carbon economy. That sounds like a very big job and a huge client base. What are their concerns? Well, I think it really varies, obviously, depending on the, client, on the client type and also the jurisdiction in where they reside. Naturally, this is a global problem, but there are a lot of local challenges and everyone is on their journey and at very different paces. Some are slightly more advanced, some are obviously learning along the way, and some are very much starting out. So the dialogue we're having with clients is very varied. Naturally, it anchors upon the key solutions that we feel that we can bring to them. And I think when it comes to financial institutions, um, in particular, knowing that climate change and the broader rise of ESG investing will be a key driver of financial performance and an increasingly important factor for many investors evaluating bank stocks and indeed other financial institution stocks, we start looking very closely at the opportunities that we see, be it across savings and investing products, around financing and how we can help finance them, and indeed around the advisory and risk transfer. So this does lead into conversations around impact investing, sustainable investing, 
how best to integrate ESG into their investing. And when it comes to financing, is it around green bonds, around green loans? Is it around sustainable link loans that they should be issuing? And more recently, we did a fund financing for a private equity firm, EQT, and indeed transition finance. And then when it comes to the advisory, it's really supporting them thinking through the implications of the business and the strategic direction that they need to take to best position themselves for the economy of tomorrow. This sounds like a huge area for you and a huge opportunity as we look toward helping companies transition to the future. But why do banks care so much about it when the commercial upside is only around 2% of ROE. As institutional clients shift into ESG, they will demand new services from the sell side. And we obviously want to ensure that we are accompanying our clients and providing those products and solutions to these institutional clients. In addition to that, we mustn't forget our own reputation and the reputational risks are growing in importance. At the same time, we've got a huge opportunity to support our corporates transition to a cleaner business model and really building the bridge with our institutional client base. And surely there must be some external pressure with all the regulation going on and being talked about in the EU. Absolutely. I mean, in Europe in particular, several of the regulators, including the France ACPR, the Bank of England, the Dutch National Bank have already started to conduct climate risk stress tests for the domestic institutions, while the EBA will perform sensitivity analysis later this year. But it's not just a European, it's also, if you look at our clients in Asia, the People's Bank of China, the Bank of Japan, the Reserve Bank of India, and the MAS in Singapore have all signaled their intention to look at climate risk in their jurisdictions. So again, we're helping our clients understand what that means and also learn from the lessons ourselves have learned, knowing that we have implemented, be it CSR policies, for a long period of time. And as you mentioned in your introduction, started to transition out of some sectors. So you're talking about two things here. One is your own journey to a lighter carbon footprint and to net zero. And then the advice and the products that you're offering your clients and helping them on their journey. How much of that conversation that you're having with clients is focused on getting their current activities to be better? And how much of that conversation is focused on the companies of the future and what our economy of the future is going to be based on? Uh, You've hit a perfect spot and something which I'm quite passionate about um, because I do think you know, the future is bringing many opportunities for banks to finance and indeed for our institutional clients uh, to invest in and really help these new technologies come to light. We've seen it in Europe with the Green New Deal, just the investments that uh, will need to be taken to help meet their net zero targets. But I would say at the moment, it's still heavily skewed towards supporting our clients' transition. But naturally, we're always looking for the new clients and what I say are the clients of tomorrow. And that's obviously an important part of my job and role is constantly reviewing, uh, especially in the institutional space, the emergence of the impact funds and how they're specializing in that. 
And the reason is they will obviously grow over time. And we've seen already that in, in numerous cases uh, on the corporate side, when you look at Tesla is a classic example. And therefore it's very important for institutions like ourselves to be constantly monitoring to ensure that we've got the right client mix. Fantastic. What are some of the most exciting opportunities that you're seeing? I think each day when you come to the office, it feels exciting because I think the acceleration in this space is unprecedented. I've worked in the financial industry uh, for over 20 years and I've never seen an agenda move so quickly and also bring in new dimensions on a very regular basis. It means that I'm kept exceptionally busy but you know, you look just in the evolution on something like biodiversity, that's quickly coming into the boardroom. And arguably only 12 months ago, that wasn't necessarily front and center on a lot of the dialogues that we were having with clients. But you know, you start looking at the underlying numbers and you recognize that actually biodiversity generates 44 trillion of the economic value that is remotely or highly dependent on nature and its services. What's BNP's role in biodiversity? So a number of areas we're starting to focus on actually, BNP Paribas Asset Management um, has backed a call for the development of a methodology to assess physical impacts on biodiversity of investments and corporate behavior. We ourselves are heavily involved in what is evolving into a task force of nature-related financial disclosures, the TNFC. Also, uh, we were part of the European Union's taxonomy, part of the technical expert group, and they themselves will start to extend that taxonomy for sustainable activities, also to include the protection and restoration of biodiversity ecosystems. We ourselves have also put out a position uh, on oceans as well and committed to a billion in the preservation of oceans. That sounds almost like public policy, not banking. How do you link those activities together? Well, I think sustainable finance is really important to bring in all stakeholders. That's the academia, it's obviously the financial sector, it's the regulators, it's the policy, uh, and also NGOs. Uh, I think to move what we need to do, all players have a great deal to learn from each other. So absolutely, the role merges beyond just purely doing a bond transaction, for instance. You know, when I took this job on two years ago, I very much anchored my approach around the seven R's which I think are a really good basis to understand why sustainable finance matters to financial institutions. And if I just go through them, the first one is regulation. Um, we can see that emerging not just in the European context, but also in the APAC region as well. Um, then you look at the risks, and we know the effects of climate change on financial stability has an impact, be it the physical risk, the operational risk, the transitional risk, credit risk. And then if you look at some of the other more material and applicable financial risks associated, um, you also have obviously the insurance underwriting, the credit, and indeed financial market risk. Then if you go to the third R, which is on return, and I think, you know, we, especially during the COVID-19 response, 
um, and the crisis itself, we're starting to see increasing case studies demonstrating that financial returns when incorporating ESG does have a positive impact in return. Then I think what's really important is the whole reputation aspect, which is the fourth R, be it with key stakeholders, that's your shareholders, your rating agencies, your clients, your consumers. And I think ultimately, which leads to the employees, which is to my next R's, which is the retention and recruitment. We know engaging socially valuable projects can reduce employee turnover by 50%. And obviously the COVID-19 has been very much focused on the ability of how you're treating your employees during these times. And then increasingly, it is leading to a requirement as governments and policies put in policies towards a net zero economy. And ultimately, we need the commitment of everyone. You know, that includes central banks, it includes governments, it includes the international organizations, as well as clearly the bank's role to overcome the challenges that the world face at the moment to create the conditions to enable not just the economic recovery that we need post COVID-19, but to be a more sustainable planet for all of us to live in. So I think the next decade is going to invite us to seek every means of continuing to serve our customers and more broadly society as a whole in useful ways. I think one of the lessons of the 2020 health crisis is that the collective risks are not an abstract threat. They apply to many other areas in health, such as the climate and biodiversity, even access to water and indeed education. Therefore, the bank must play its part fully in the search for the common good, speeding up its support for the ecological transition and mobilizing the resources to be more inclusive, especially with regard to the most vulnerable. I know at least at BNP Paribas, we will make every effort to harness the group's expertise to propose innovation, sustainable and inclusive solutions.